0: Good morning again. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 63. That'll be our sermon text for this morning, Psalm 63. Before we read that together, let's pray one more time. Our Father, we, we need you. Uh, we need you in this moment. We need you, I need you to... Uh, speak through me, uh, to speak your word clearly and plainly and boldly. We need you to give us hearts to uh, receive what is said, ears to hear, uh, minds to grasp. So Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us right now, that you would be glorified as your word is proclaimed, received, believed, and Jesus is trusted upon afresh. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 63. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, Shall rejoice in God. All who swear by Him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. What does it mean to be thirsty? To be thirsty is when your body is telling you that you need water. It's a a physical sensation, right? A bodily desire for something that we need. It's also a common metaphor can refer to any kind of desire, any longing. Because water is so necessary for life, to thirst is to long for something you need or you must have. Of course, people talk uh, today about someone being thirsty and uh, whatever the, the context, in different contexts, what they mean is something like desperate or desperately needy. Where are you thirsty in life? Where are you hungry, longing, where do you have some unsatisfied craving, wishing for something else, something more than what you have? Well, we were created to be thirsty for God, to be desperately needy for Him. However, most of us are dehydrated and don't even notice This morning, we're going to be talking about thirsting for God. And uh, if you look on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline there. And uh, we're going to look at the fact that God alone can satisfy the soul. Therefore, you should thirst for Him in the desert, seek Him in the sanctuary, and praise Him with your whole self. God alone can satisfy the soul. Therefore, thirst for Him in the desert. Seek him in the sanctuary and praise him with your whole self. So first, God alone can satisfy the soul. David begins uh, this psalm in verse 1 by saying, "O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David has a longing for God. God is like water, which satisfies our soul and gives us life. God is somehow like water when everything around us is like a dry and weary land. Now, in Psalm 63, David is literally in a dry and weary land. We're told that in the title. We're told that he's in the wilderness of Judah. But the physical dryness of his surroundings remind David of a deeper spiritual dryness in his soul. We have a thirst. We have a a thirst which no water in this life can quench. We have this longing which no thing in this world can satisfy. And and David tells us why this is, why this life cannot satisfy in verse 3. Verse 3, he says, Your steadfast love is better than life. Better than life. David means something like all the good things that you might give are nothing compared to the love that you have. They are mere tokens, but your love is the fountain. Or or maybe he, he means whatever this life offers, your love is better. Whatever the world might hold out, your love is more satisfying, more fulfilling than all of it. Something outside of this world, the love of God for his children is better than all of the things in this world, David is saying. And so David then uh, decides he's going to look elsewhere, and he says in verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. food right? As the mouths of our bellies are satisfied with, with, with fine dining, David says our souls will be satisfied with God. God alone can satisfy our soul. We were created to enjoy Him And so we long for him. C.S. Lewis talks about this in uh, this desire in uh, his essay, The Weight of Glory. He he talks about the ways that we try to dismiss this desire for the eternal as mere nostalgia. We say it's, it's just this memory of some long forgotten joy. But Lewis says, if you were to go back in time to that joy, to that moment, that happy moment in the past, you would see that that too was only another moment of remembering some previous joy, some distant delight. And what he's saying is that that even in that past joy, that fond memory that you have, even in that past joy, there was a longing for something not yet present. Each joy in this life, he says, is only the, the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not yet visited. No, he says, we we desire something that cannot be found in this life. Our soul thirsts for God. We desire something that this world cannot offer. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they find our rest in God. Or we could say our soul is thirsty until we quench our thirst in God. And since this is the case, we should follow the example of David here, and thirst for God in the desert. This psalm is a psalm of David. It's, it's written when he was king. And we know that because of verse 11. Verse 11 says, the king shall rejoice in God. But we know more than that because the heading says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, when was it when David was king, but also at the same time in the wilderness? Well, uh, most likely during his brief exile uh, of sorts when his son Absalom stole the throne. And so this psalm was likely written when David was at this low point in his life. Right? There are highs and lows in life. This is a low, right? David's own son led a conspiracy to oust him. I'd call that a low. But David's experience is really a picture of the experience of Jesus. David was rejected as king and in exile, and that is a picture of Jesus rejected on the cross. You may remember on the cross, some said, he is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. But Jesus didn't come down, and so they didn't believe in him. And when Jesus' dead body lay in the grave, there was no victory there, no kingly rule, no authority, no power, no pomp, Only weakness and shame and death. Exile. See, this is a psalm, then, for the grave. This is a psalm for those times when we experience death, when we languish in the desert. And when you languish in the desert, what else is there to do but thirst? Do you thirst? Do you long I think many of us cannot say with David, my soul thirsts for you. We don't desire, we don't long for God. And the number one thing that stops us in our day, I think, is simply distraction. Our world seems neither dry nor weary, there's stuff going on all around us every moment. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, despite the fact that our thirst is for something this world cannot offer, we look to this age to satisfy. We look to money and power and sex and knowledge and reputation and beauty and politics. We have so many ways of dulling our senses to our spiritual hunger. The moment I begin to feel the least bit dissatisfied with life, I look at my phone or I turn on the TV. The TV doesn't satisfy, of course, but it distracts me. It distracts me from my thirst. What distracts you? What do you use as a distraction? I mean, it could be all kinds of good things. It could be your family, your friends, your job, media or music or movies or sports or exercise or food or academics. One author said, uh, what will truly satisfy the desires of our hearts? As children, we thought it might be that bag of potato chips we begged our parents for at the store or that new bike video game, or doll we wanted for Christmas. We thought they would make us happy, but they didn't. As teenagers, we sought satisfaction in good grades or athletic accomplishments, a car, or in a significant other. But all of it left us discontent. As adults, we think that a bigger house, more or less children, or a better job will quench our thirst. That was his uh, (coughs) qualification, not mine. (laughs) As adults we think that a bigger house, more or less children, or a better job will quench our thirst, but we're still left wanting more. See, so where do you turn when life gets uncomfortable and when the thirst begins to break through? We have this deep inborn thirst for God, but we seek to quench it with the things of earth. Why would we do that? Well, for one thing, it's easy. The stuff of earth is right before my eyes. Our world has a thousand and one distractions and God substitutes. But second, to really feel our thirst for God means feeling our own spiritual dryness. And I don't like that. If we want to thirst for God, we need to feel our own spiritual poverty. We need to know how barren this life is and how barren my soul is. How do you do that? I think in part we need to stop indulging long enough so we can step back and see how dry life really is. We've seen this already in our study of the Psalms. So we've been working through the Psalms. Psalm 46 says, to be still and know that God is God. It's a rebuke of our crazed, endless, me-focused busyness. Psalmist says to all the peoples of the earth, stop it. Stop all your running around and playing God. Stop and know that God is God. I wonder how often do you stop, even for a moment, simply to know that God is God? Is your life so busy, so full, that you have no time to reflect on the godness of God, that he's in charge, he's sovereign, he's all-powerful, he is gracious, he is kind, he is loving. If we want to thirst for God, we've got to stop. Take time out of your day. Start with even just 10 minutes to simply sit and do nothing in God's presence. No distractions, no substitutes. Simply be still and know that God is God. Psalm 62 takes this a step further when it tells us to wait in silence. When we stop and are silent, we are left alone with God, alone with our own thoughts, alone with our brokenness, alone with our spiritual hunger. There's no person, no activity, no thing, no sound, no sight to distract us from the hunger that's buried deep within. And so we sit still in silence, having set aside all the worldly enjoyments this age has to offer opening our eyes to all the brokenness and poverty within, and we begin to see how dry the world and our souls really are, and we begin to thirst. Don't forget David is in the desert when he writes this psalm. He's in exile. He's in a lonely place. His son stole his throne. His kingdom is in turmoil. He's just had to flee his home. Of course, this is often where God meets us, isn't it? In the darkest of places. You may remember Jesus used to go to such places on purpose. He would get up early in the morning while it was still dark and go to a desolate place. He would get up and go be alone with his father in a place without distractions, right? No cell phones, no Netflix, no text messages. And he would simply sit alone with his father and there he prayed. And there God met with him. No fireworks, no voices, just Jesus before His Father in a desolate place? Are you willing to to head out into the wilderness as it were and there learn what it means to thirst for God? Are you willing to be alone with your brokenness and spiritual hunger and to see that this world cannot satisfy? Are you willing to, to unplug long enough to notice the thirst within Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they shall be satisfied. Let yourself thirst. Let yourself feel the dry, arid desert of this age. Feel the hunger pains of the emptiness of this life. God alone can satisfy the soul. Therefore, thirst for him in the desert. And then seek him in the sanctuary. What stops me from finding God? Jesus promises, seek and you will find. So what gets in the way? Well, maybe, just maybe, I'm looking in the wrong places. Where do you find God, right? I mean, David says, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. Jesus says, seek and you will find. So so where do you find God? I, I do think we tend to look for him in the wrong places. Let me just give a couple examples. First, you often hear people tell you in our day, look within, because God is somehow within you. Now, besides the obvious that you're not God, what is the problem with the the find God within way of thinking? Well, the Bible calls the inner person the heart. What does the Bible teach about the heart? Well, it's, it's not always so good. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Jesus said what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts and they defile a person. So the heart is deceitful according to Jeremiah and defiling according to Jesus. Proverbs 28, 26 says whoever trusts in his own mind or his own heart is a fool. See, our hearts are the very things we need to be saved from, not the place to find God. So then what? Where do we look? Well, second, we often look for God in our experiences. We hope to hear Him or feel Him or sense Him. We look for signs, and then we look for God in those signs. Well, what's the problem with that? There are a number, and again, uh, let me just mention two. One, we, we tend to interpret signs in ways that suit us. It may be consistent with our desires. It may be consistent with our fears. Whatever the case, it's completely subjective. The God we end up with is, is really just a God of our own making. When we find God in the falling of a leaf or the steam on the bathroom mirror, what we're finding is the God of our imagination. It all depends on how creative we can be. The second problem happens when we look for signs, but they don't come. And suddenly we think, maybe there's something wrong with me. Our lives are more like the book of Ruth than Exodus, and we think there's something wrong with that. We want the fantastic and not the familiar. But again, maybe we're looking in the wrong places. Maybe God meets with us in the ordinary. The God of grace meets people where they are. But the only way to understand that rightly is to meet God where he promises to meet us. And so again, let's turn to David. Where does David seek after God? We find David seeking after God in two places. First, in verse 2, David says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David looks upon God in the sanctuary. He meets God in the temple. Why in the temple? Well, because that's the place about which God said in Exodus, There I will meet with you. Wasn't God everywhere? Well, of course he was, but he promised to meet with his people in his temple. This was where God's people gathered together to celebrate the relationship they had with God. Here the priests taught the law. Here the Levitical singers sang. Here the Israelites ate of their peace offerings. This is where David saw God's power and glory. Well, what exactly did David see? He saw the the sacrifices, the, the blood That covered sin. He saw the priests in their splendor. Maybe David saw the Ark of the Covenant that represented God's throne, his footstool. He got a glimpse, but only a glimpse. And yet, for David, that was all in the past, because now David was in the desert. Can you meet God in the desert? Well, David does. He says in verse 6, He talks about when he remembers God upon his bed and meditates on him in the watches of the night. We would say David not only attended corporate worship, verse 2, in the the temple, but he also has his private devotions, verse 6, upon his bed. See, he remembers God and meditates on him. What is he remembering? Verse 7 tells us, it says, David says, for you have been my help. David remembers God's past actions. He doesn't sit on his bed and ask, now what do I imagine when I think about God? No, that's going back to our lying hearts. Rather, David meditates on all that God has done for him, concretely, objectively, in history. He remembers God, he meditates on God. And so how do you seek after God? Well, uh, we have no physical temple, no tabernacle. Uh, This building is not the temple just in case you were confused about that. Uh, no, We have no man-made structure in which to find God. God no longer meets with his people in a tent. But Jesus came and tabernacled among us. He came to show us the Father. He came to dwell with us as Emmanuel, God with us. And so here is where God meets with us, in the person of Jesus. Jesus says to Philip in John 14, 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. We meet with the Father in the Son. And Jesus promised the the, the woman in the story read earlier whoever drinks of the water that He gives will never thirst again. Where then do we behold the power and glory of God, if not in the temple, as David did? Well, we behold the glory of God in the person of Jesus, especially in the cross and in the resurrection. At the cross, we see the shed blood that makes atonement for our sin, that reconciles us to our Father. In the resurrection, we see the power of God to overcome sin and curse and death in Christ for us. So where do we seek after God? Where where do we behold His steadfast love? In Christ, who tabernacled with us in His cross and in His resurrection. But you might say, well, Jesus is in heaven. How does that do us any good? How how do I meet with Jesus? Where do I see him? Well, again, how did David do it? Well, first he met with God when he gathered with God's people in what we call corporate worship. David gathered with God's people in the temple. Jesus promises that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he will be in our midst. And so we draw near to Jesus as we draw near to his body. To the church, which the New Testament calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so though this building is not the temple, we are. And we enter into the temple as we gather with one another. As you come, you get a glimpse. It's not a glimpse with your eyes. It's not a glimpse that we can see with the flesh. But it's a glimpse by faith that God is doing something here among this people. God is reconciling people to himself through the cross. God is meeting with his people here by his spirit. God is right here, right now, taking this ragtag group of misfits, weak, broken, and sinful as we are, and showing mercy and promising grace and giving us a foretaste of glories to come. But second, David also met with God alone, on his bed as he counted the hours. He did it by remembering what God had done. And of course, unlike David, we have the distinct advantage of having the whole of Scripture to help us uh, remember what God has done in Christ. And so we meditate on Scripture. We remember what God has done for us in the cross. We don't read Scripture as a self-help book to fix us or simply as a manual of doctrine to make us smart. We read it to meet with our God to meditate on Him, to uh, be reminded of Him, to fellowship with Him. And so where do we meet with Jesus? We meet Him among His people and in His Word. This is how we seek after God. We meet God where He promises to be found. Now, Maybe this seems too ordinary to you. The Word in the church, that's not spectacular. It's not amazing. But when the prophet Elijah told the army commander Naaman to wash in the Jordan seven times to cure his leprosy, it seemed like a small thing. Naaman wanted something fantastic, something amazing, something wonderful. And Elijah simply said, just go wash. He wanted signs and wonders, but he was told simply to wash and be clean. And so when I say we satisfy our thirst as we seek after God among his people and in his word, does that seem too easy? I think we want light shows, but God gives us the light of the world. We expect fireworks and we are disappointed with the fountain. Seek after God among his people, in his word, feeling the dryness of life, the emptiness of this age. Seek after God in Christ and drink of the water that he gives and Jesus promises you will never thirst again. God alone can satisfy the soul. Therefore thirst for him in the desert Seek Him in the sanctuary, and then praise Him with your whole self. David thirsts for God. He seeks after God. He finds God, and then he praises Him. Verses 3 and 4, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Then again in verses 7 and 8, For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. See, David seems to explode in spontaneous praise multiple times in this short chapter. And let's think briefly about the why and the how of David's praise. First, why? Right? David looks on God. He beholds God's power and glory, verse 2. He knows the depth of God's steadfast love, verse 3. He remembers that God has been his help, verse 7, and upholds him, verse 8. See, David's praise, in other words, has content. He praises God for something, for who God is and what he has done. His praise is fueled by God's person and work. And if you feel like your praise is half-hearted and empty or superficial or outward or even hypocritical at times because you honor God with your lips, but your heart feels far from him, Feed your praise on God and His works. Meditate on who God is. Remember what He has done. Consider His steadfast love. Our Father has given up His Son on the cross. Jesus went willingly to die for our sins. The Holy Spirit even now indwells and renews us. Though we deserve God's wrath, we receive His mercy. Though I am often impatient, God is patient Even when I am cruel, God is kind. Though I be hard-hearted to the needs of others, God is compassionate and merciful to me. This is the fuel for our praise. And yet sometimes my heart is just not moved. I come expectant, wanting, longing, thirsting. I expect God to wow me, Not, not with signs and wonders, but with his grace, undeserved, unearned, unmerited grace. Maybe I catch a glimpse of that but my heart remains cold. What do you do then? Well, you praise anyway. Right, you sing to God. You let the combination of the the music and the words move your heart. That is the purpose of music after all, right? Not to manipulate, but to move our hearts by the truth. Gospel truths should move our hearts. What does music do? It helps our hearts get in line with the truth. Music's purpose is to engage our emotions. David sings, but he doesn't only sing. Uh, he, his praise is expressed with his whole body. Even the word for bless in verse 4 uh, seems to come from the word for knee, as in to bow the knee before someone. And so David's lips praise, his knees bow, his hands are lifted up, even as his soul clings to God. And the, the, the point is, okay, maybe, maybe your emotions are not where you want them to be. We can pray that God would warm our hearts and draw us to himself, but that's okay, right? Engage your body in order to engage your soul. Open your lips, bow your knees, lift up your hands. There are those, of course, who who manipulate with superficial songs and and such. We don't want to do that, but we also don't want to avoid emotions. God has made us as emotional, physical beings. We want our whole bodies to be engaged in worship and praise. And so feed your soul on a steady diet of God and his works and then engage your whole body to respond to him in prayer and praise. Now David ends this psalm in kind of an odd way by talking about his enemies. Remember, David is in the desert, thirsting after God. He's in the desert because of his enemies. And David knows that whatever his enemies might do, The king shall rejoice in God. This is the the confidence of David. Whatever my enemies might do, whatever they might say, I shall rejoice. And of course, Jesus did too in the resurrection. See, our hope in the face of death, our hope in the face of our enemies, is always the resurrection. Things may or may not get better in this life, but joy comes with the morning. the psalm tells us. The resurrection will dawn. And as David says, the king shall rejoice in God. Now, of course, you and I are not the king. But verse 11 doesn't leave us out. It says, the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. Meaning all who swear by the king shall exalt. That is all who stake their life on the king will have reason to rejoice. And this is our reason to to rejoice, right? We stake our life on King Jesus, the risen one. The warning implicit in these verses is this. There are are two groups of people here, right? Those who oppose the king and those who stake their life on him. If you oppose Christ, the psalm warns, you will go down into the depths of the earth. If you reject him, you will be a portion for jackals, which is to say you will die in shame. But those who trust in Christ shall exalt. I hope that you know that the dryness of your own soul, the dryness of this age, And so feel your thirst for God. I hope that you seek him where he may be found in the person of Jesus, in his word, among his people, in the context of the desert. I hope that you know Jesus as the fountain of living waters. And I hope that leads you to praise, to rejoice with your whole being. It's a process, of course, right? Uh, Day by day, we're weaned off of this age and we learn to quench our thirst in Jesus more and more. But if that is true of you, let me add only this. There are many out there who thirst and don't even know it. They are dying of dehydration and have no idea. Offer them the water of life. Right? It may be a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate or a friend, but take time to, to get to know them, to engage with them, to reach out to them, to love them, to speak with them about the dryness of this age and the water of life found in Jesus. And if you're realizing your thirst for the first time, if you've begun to sense that this life cannot satisfy your longings deep within, seek God where he may be found in the person of Jesus. Trust in him, thirst for him, seek him, praise him, because all who drink of the water that he gives will never thirst again. Let's pray. Our Father, we long to know you, to quench our thirst on you, to drink deeply of your love and of your grace and of your mercy found in the cross. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus in all of his glory and that we would be deeply satisfied with your love and your mercy and your gifts in him.